0: straight into it, Genesis 34. Oh boy. Oh boy. <clears throat> <clears throat> All right. Dina and the Shechemites. Verse 1. Now Dina, the daughter Leah, had born to Jacob, went out to visit the woman of the land. When Shechem, son of Amor the Hibite, the ruler of the area, saw her, he took her and raped her. His heart was drawn to Dina, daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father, Hamor, Give me this girl as my wife. And Jacob heard that his daughter Dina had been defiled, uh, or when he heard that his daughter had been defiled, his sons were in the fields with his livestock. So he did nothing about it until they came home. Then Shechem, Shechem's father, Hamor, went out to talk with Jacob. Meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they heard what had happened. They were shocked and furious, because Shechem had done an outrageous thing in Israel by sleeping with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. But Hamor said to them, My son Shechem has, has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us, give us your daughters, and take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it, trade in it, and acquire property in it. then Shechem said to Dina's father and brothers, let me find favor in your eyes, and I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like, and I'll pay whatever you ask me. Only give me the young woman as my wife. Because their sister Dina had been defiled, Jacob's sons, replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father, Hamor. They said to them, We can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man who is not circumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We will enter into agreement with you on one condition only. They become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will give you our daughter and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. The proposal seemed good to Hamor and his son Shechem. The young man, who was the most honored of all his father's family, lost no time in doing what they said, because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. So Hamor and his son Shechem went to the gate of their city to speak to the men of their city. These men are friendly toward us, they said. Let them live in our land and trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters and they can marry ours. But the men will agree to live with us as one people, only on the condition that our males be circumcised as they themselves are. Won't their livestock, their property, and all their other animals become ours? So let us agree to their terms and they will settle among us. All the men who went out of the city gates agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male in the city was circumcised. Three days later, while all of them were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dina's brothers, took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword and took Dina from Shechem's house and left. The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies, and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. They seized their flocks, and herds, and donkeys, and everything else of theirs in the city and out in the fields. They carried off all their wealth, and all their women and children, taking us to everything in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me obnoxious to the Canaanites and Perizzites, the people living in this land, we are few in number, and if you and if they join voice, forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they replied, "Should we have treated our sister like a prostitute?" All right, that is quite intense. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely one you tend to skip over. I think in your quiet time, maybe I'm not sure. That was a it's a quite intense passage, and you know, I was kind of thinking maybe there's some. I can get you guys to lighten the mood a little bit just because of how crazy that was. But I think it's there for intention. It's meant to be intense and um, alarming to us for that very reason. And like I said, it's tempting to maybe sweep these kind of passages under the rug. And you know, people. this is where people talk about all oh, the Bibles, this old patriotic book. And maybe this justifies that. I'm not sure. But this is some, I guess, horrific things. And I think... Rather than sweeping underneath the rug and trying to avoid it, we address it and look at it properly and think, "Okay, what's what's the message here? I mean, what, what are the warning signs? What is what's the danger of flashing my eyes before me, and making sure that we avoid those same things?" So, as we investigate this passage, I just thought we'd go through each person one by one and kind of just go through where they went wrong, right? Is to you know, cr- quote Romans six for Paul, no one is good, right? Everyone in this story is in some way culpable for what they have done. So let's break it down. First, we have Jacob. So Jacob is just reconciled with Esau. Things are good. Now is his time. After 20 years of working for another man, he gets to finally establish himself and start building his nation, right? So he's kind of just looking for, in some sense, like retirement. like an easy path just to kind of cruise the rest of the way. Um, but we'll kind of break down, I guess, the sin, what is it, is it exactly he did, right? The sin of Jacob. And I think a better question maybe, right, is you really think and consider this passage is, I mean, what didn't he do, right? Where is Jacob throughout all of this? I mean, your sons are committing mass murder, your daughter's just been raped, and what's your role, where, where are you within it? He's, I mean, he's quite absent, right? There's, he's nowhere to be found. I mean, just to start off, the I guess the first thing where he should have at least been present or stepped in is, with the daughter, his daughter Dina, right? Within that first verse, with them saying Dina is Leah's daughter, or Leah's daughter, right? It's supposed to remind you that mm-hmm. Leah, oh, the, yes, the less loved by Jacob, right? She's the, this side of the family is not as favorable one. They're actually kind of a burden having to take care of all their flock, right? Rachel and Joseph and Benjamin, those are the people, actually Benjamin isn't born yet, but those are the people that he loves and wants to invest in, right, and take care of. But already, as we see in this passage, right, he's not, it's kind of an apathy towards it all, right? Even when he finds out about what's happened to Dina, he's kind of like, uh, yeah, I'll let Warren come to me and negotiate, and then let's just hand this bad boy off to the brothers to deal with, right? Like, are you kidding me? Your daughter has just, you know, gone through one of those horrific experiences, and that's your response? I mean, even in the first verse where it says, um, do you know, want to go and explore the land? To any ancient reader reading that, that's like warning signs like, well, what what are you doing? Allowing your daughter to do that? Like, that's the equivalent of dropping her off in Northbridge, your 15-year-old daughter at 15 for you know for Friday night to enjoy herself. Like, what are you doing? Like, that is um yeah, not present. You you're not you're not doing anything, right? You're not present in your life. So. Already, we see these these danger signs flashing. Um, This is compounded, again, as I said, by his apathy towards when he finds out as well. But even in his response to the brothers, right? I mean, they've just murdered an entire group of like another nation's men. And once his response is, is not concerned about their heart or you know before God, right? This is a bad thing. His concern is not. Now I'm obnoxious to the people around me, right? He's more concerned about his reputation more than anything. Like, come on, man. Like, what is going on? Like, household's falling apart, and you're doing nothing about it, right? So what is his sin? It's, yes, Why not up there? That's James 1. But what is his sin? It's passiveness, right? I mean, James 5 talks about the... There's sin in not doing what you ought to do, right? I mean, there's, there's no... There's no, um, I guess, drive or push to make things right and take care of things. I mean, even more to to push on this idea, some commentators believe that really, right, because we talked about, sorry, I should have spoke about this previously, but God told Jacob to come back to the land, right? So he's back in the land, and he's, you know, chilling, he sees, he's told to go back to Bethel, really, that's where he's supposed Mm -hmm. to be where the promise is made to him, and that's where he's supposed to be reunited and back with God. And yet, he stops just one day outside of Bethel, right? Because he sees a city, he sees opportunity, maybe. He sees, you know, growth or wealth to be had, right? So, it is kind of that almost obedience, but not really obedience in the end, right? And again, just adding to that of Jacob's, Desire for maybe an easier life, in some sense, not really, uh, I guess, intent or intentional about making sure he's setting up his family well. It's just, oh yeah, this town's nice nearby. I guess it's close, kind of close enough to what God's told me to do, and that will do, right? No, it's there's no, I guess, there's no completion in it. I want to sit on this passage and really talk about this passages right? I've, Put it up there for us for james 1:15, right his um his desire or, or the temptation just to you know be a part of the land and with the people right started off and then within that sin started he allowed sin to creep into the family an opportunity for it to grow and then from sin grew full blue or full-blown death has now occurred right and that's the pattern that paul or yeah paul talks, no, sorry, james talks about. sorry in James 1.15, right? It starts with a little temptation, then sin grows, and then lo and behold it, there's death. The death of a whole nation, right? And this is a warning to us, what the, the dangers of what passiveness really is. It may be easy and simple to sit back and, oh yeah, you know, they can deal with themselves, I guess. But no, like you have to, there's a sense of responsibility. Like if you see something going wrong and there's sin, you have to deal with it, right? But okay. okay. Thanks, guys. <clears throat> yeah, like I already said, sin is compounding. I think, unfortunately, today, uh, society uh, exemplifies passiveness amongst us, right? Or celebrates it. You know, the religious people or people of the faith, regardless of your faith, you know, obviously, or uh, get. Sorry, not obviously, they get scolded a lot by the world because oh well, you're too dogmatic or you're too you're not tolerant enough, you're religiously blind, you know. It's best that you just sit back and let the madness of the world kind of take over for itself, right? And this, I mean, that's chaotic, but that's foolish in some sense, right? There's a I had it up there, go through the slides again, just a nice big scroll. There's this quote by Matt Walsh where I slide. Okay, you guys can have that. He writes this book um, called The Church of Cowards. Right? It's pretty full on, pretty straightforward, but he talks about um, this virtue of passiveness that has leaped into a lot of you know more Western churches probably in America, but it's just as much danger of what society is pushing on us now, right? So I'll read this quote out to us. It is easy to be virtuous in our world because we have adopted easy virtues. We applaud ourselves for our goodness, but it come, but it costs to be but it costs nothing to be good in modern times. A man can be good just by sitting in his living room. The couch potato is the new paragon of virtue, exceeded in goodness only by the man in a coma. Virtue has been pulled down from the lofty perch and made accessible to the inert. By this standard, the most virtuous thing on the planet is a turnip or blade of grass. It just sits there and says nothing, and does nothing, and does not get in the way. The church, once the defender of real virtues, now promotes cheap and shallow ones. Christians are not often exhorted to courage, chastity, fidelity, temperance, and modesty anymore. Those virtues require action and sacrifice, and intention and thought, and sometimes pain. They ask you to do something for their sake, become something, be something. These are the formidable, inconvenient virtues. You must rise to them because they will not come down to you. he goes further on to expand, you know, one strong, you know, Christian values or virtues of courage, right, to addressing sin and making sure that temptation doesn't leak in has been replaced with this higher gold standard, right, of being a nice person, right? Oh, someone who's good and, you know, like... Yeah, well, Christian, he's a great, a good guy, like good quality, right? And you, you're trying to push back on that notion, you know, like, like what is, like with Jacob, right? Like the that whole concern of just being nice and maybe temperate and or uh, compassionate or tolerant, whatever the word you want to use, right? He pushes back on that and says, I mean, similar to Jacob, right? He's more concerned with his reputation amongst the people than what he is with this sin that has invaded and flooded his life, right? It's a similar thing with us. I think we have to be careful in society and the, this world as general. You know, what are the virtues that we highlight amongst ourselves? Is it compassion and kindness, which are obviously important virtues, but those are often confounded with maybe tolerance and acceptance. And I mean, as Trevor read out, or sorry, not Trevor, Andrew read out today, right? Jesus was compassionate and kind, of course, but he's not tolerant. If he saw something, right, there's a fire within him where he's not going to let, he's not going to let sin stand from his father's house, right? He's going to rid it, and he's going to do it now before it absolutely spirals out of control like we see in this passage. Right? And how's it spiral out of control? Mass genocide, right? The sin of his brothers or of his sons. Oh, no, that's the song. <laughs> you guys got it. so good at this. All right, the sins of the sun, right? The next thing, right? Maybe they're good at being more indignant than Jacob. Yeah, right. Good on you. But I mean, they've taken this to a whole new level, right? They've taken justice (laughs) in their hands, and as I have to put in there, made the classic mistake of making themselves judge, jury, and executor, right? They're. There's people who try and find, like I said, the, I guess, the silver linings within this or maybe they were acting, you know, justly and taking care of things as things should have been. I'm I'm not sure about this. I mean, if clearly within the passage, with the Levitical law and just common sense, that, what they carried out is not justice. I mean, the, what Shechem did to Dina is a terrible, terrible thing, right? I, I don't want to take away from that but what then they carry out is not an eye for an eye, right, which is the law within is, that is um, justice, but really is used as a veil for vengeance, right? That's really at the heart of it. And there's a reason our, du- our judicial systems don't allow for you to be, hold one spot, judge, jury, execution, right? They know that people who are emotional can't make Correct decisions, right? And you're gonna end up making a lot of mistakes. And there's there's reasons why they they try and avoid every conflict of interest, right? Because you're carrying out bad justice in a sense, right? And you want to hold on and make sure that you're carrying out that what is good, right? And then even with as I said within the passage, I mean to call this justice is would be bold, right? I mean what do they do in response is, first of all, it's premeditated, right? This isn't a murder out of reaction, right? They have enough time to make a plan and then wait three days to kind of allow for like a cooling off period, right? But there is, sorry, excuse me. There's this sense where this, this is all premeditated, thought through, kind of like psychotic in some sense, right? I mean, to create a plan, that cripples an entire nation's male population by using uh, your most sacred sacraments in your religion as a tool to do that? I mean, it's just, that's insane, right? That's like the equivalent of me studying the Bible with someone just to get to the end, to baptism, and they're in a weak spot, so I drown them. What <laughs> the heck? That's, that's some crazy stuff, right? It, it, I know you would be laughing, but it's, that's the equivalent of what's happening yeah, here. This man. is not justice, right? Yeah. They, I mean, even afterwards, I mean, to plunder the land and, you know, hands dripping with blood after killing these guys. And then the scariest thing of all is that they sit and justify themselves, right? They feel justified because they feel they've carried out justice, right? I mean, if you look at their response, that's their response, right? When Jacob says to them, what a terrible thing you've done. They say, well, what, what we we supposed to just let him treat a sister like a prostitute? Well, no, I mean, there's a proper system to be carried out, but you don't just go and you know, murder a whole nation. like that's insane, right? But I think within it, there's an important lesson for us that, you know, how they justify is often how we justify as well, right? That we think our reactions to things are proportionate to what has happened, right? I mean, I've been babysitting the Cameron kids for the weekend at the moment. They're away in America, but I mean, you get this. It's common with kids, right? That one kid steals another one's chip, and another one just like smacks him. You're know, like, Whoa, what the heck? That is that is not proportionate to what just happened, right? But is it? But I mean, you take it to the to the extreme, you know, or in our adult lives as well, not just children, but. There is ways in which we justify our actions, yeah. our responses to the ways we feel we've been treated unjustly that don't match, right? And I think it's that kind of attitude is especially dangerous because you leave feeling completely justified in the end, right? There's no room for repentance because you deceived yourself and thinking, yeah, what I've done is appropriate. What I've done is good. I mean, especially for these guys, right? You've just murdered an entire group of people in the it was justified, right? That's not that's not what's happened. Even in their words they use, it's, they use moral and emotional language, right? He's trying to tell them, you know, would you dad? They were treating her like a prostitute, right? They're trying to like almost twist it the respected morally inward on itself so that there's like, oh you can't say anything about that, I guess. Well, I mean there's there's definitely ways to be addressed, but not in that way, right? I mean, I mean, the point for us to take away is just be careful how hey, you justify your actions, right? Do you think you stand grand, ground morally? Why, you know, make sure you consider, you know, yeah, I guess the whole situation, what has happened, grab advice, maybe and consider if this is really what justice looks like. And I think in the broader scheme of things, right, it's, this passage calls out for true justice. I mean, they...
1: Yeah, as I said, they,
0: they can, they've think they taken justice into their own hands and they've, they've done what is good, right? But in all of this, God is what is who's going to deliver that true justice at the end, right? We, we long for and we look for that, and we want that true justice as to things properly being held accountable and sin being punished, not in the nations around us, but also in our own lives as well, right? So just, I guess those two points to consider, the, how we justify and what a longing for true and proper justice. Okay. The last one, I won't spend too much on this party. The Shechem and Hamor. He you had know, some people try and justify yeah, their actions in some sense. And um, they, I don't know, I guess as a rebuke to to Israel, they try and justify what they've done. But, I mean, just to be really brief with that, Tell even in their negotiations, it isn't good, done in good faith because they go back to their, their townsmen and they tell them, oh, what, a, you know, we're going to acquire all their stuff and all their land, right? That's very exciting. So that's a good positive thing to get them in. Not, not that we've done the wrong thing, right? Even within their negotiations, never at one point do they admit guilt. And even in verse 19, it says, that um, what's the name? Shechem was the most honorable in the family. Mm-hmm. Right? Your nation's most or your family's most honorable man is the one who goes around and rapes woman. Like that's not someone who is honorable. That is I mean that's disgraceful, right? These people these people are no way in themselves good either. Yeah. And like I said at the beginning of this passage, this is it's ugly, right? No one has done good here. It, it cries out, as I said, for that true justice. There's just there's that pain, and as we see here, right? This really, God isn't really mentioned heaps at all. Where is? That's what people ask. Right? Where is God? Right? Where where did you look for counsel in Him? Where did you you know make those sacrifices or or consider Him in any of this process? You didn't, right? And God, in some sense, is giving you over into your sin and the chaos. And as I have up here. Does that mean that God is absent? No, right? I mean, in the very next passage, God calls out to Jacob, and he says, you know, reminds him of the promise, right? God's still holding on to the promise for them. Jacob, come you know, come back. Finish what I actually told you to do. Actually go to Bethel, right? I told you things were going to go bad if you didn't listen to me. Now things have, not go to Bethel. I mean, that's more the topic for next week. But I think just even if we were to look at an even broader standpoint of this passage and what happens within the Bible, we consider who Levi is. I have it up there, right? Who were the tribe? Who's the tribe of the Levites? They were the people God had specially chosen to enter His, as Andrew and Sidious said, the Holy of Holies, and to commune with Him and to uh, sacrifice on the people's behalf. And also, the other tribes were called to even take care of their physical needs so that they could just purely focus on taking care of maintaining the temple. So the tribe of Levi held great standing. I mean, later on in the passages, we'll see and we'll continue. But I think stories like these are in here for a particular reason, a particular reason for the Levites. And this is more, I guess, I didn't know if I was going to do this, but I just kind of, when I was thinking about this, I imagined like something a little comical, like, like a Levite, he's there with the other tribes. Maybe he's with a Reubenite, And they're just sitting and chatting and asking each other about each other's day. And the Levite goes on. Or the, the Reubenite asks the Levite, I what you got today. And he's, oh, you know, no big deal. Just had a chat with God on the Holy of Holies. And I uh, mm-hmm. sacrificed that for a few. You're welcome. So all is forgiven. And um, on next time as well, when you bring me my uh, dinner, just remember to... Uh, know tenderize the stake a little bit more just to leave it at that right there's there's like a sense where you can be quite chuffed about your position within that I mean that is a great and honorable position right I mean, they would even it to be a descendant of Moses as well right what an honorable thing it's like when we saying descendant of George W. Bush right you know it's like oh yeah that's it's pretty cool and it's something to be chuffed about. But the I mean, you could just as much snap back as the runite or whoever he's trying to like I want you also to descend to the dude who committed mass genocide by weakening everyone with circumcision um, yeah I guess I mean there's I think he's passing it in here for a reason to help us remind us that you know as I said no one is good I mean you look you look way back and there's nothing to be I mean proud about in your previous life right so the what you were before the the passage up there. It's in Deuteronomy, the two, the two scriptures.
1: I mean, just that Deuteronomy passage. For you are a
0: people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be His people, His treasured possession. The Lord did not set His a, a flip, or His a flip, affection, sorry, on you and choose you because you were numerous. Than other people for you were the fewest of all the peoples but it's because the Lord loved you and kept the oath uh, he swore with your ancestors and he brought you out of the mighty hand and redeemed you mm-hmm. from the land of from slavery and the power of Pharaoh king of Egypt mm-hmm. right and it is the New Testament equivalent as well in first Corinthians but it's a point where he's trying to push right like Levi this God this you know not a good moral character by any means, right? So the Israelites in general, not good people by any means. But Yet God still works with them, right? They weren't good people, but God's still holding on to his promise. And you have an opportunity to attention to that promise if you as well come you know, before him with that repentance and faith. But it takes that from our end. So as I close out today, I, just, I hope this passage serves as a a warning and a reminder, right? To be... You know, don't fall into the, the the temptation or the ease of Jacob's sin, right? To passively letting things just come and go in your life, never standing up, never having conviction for what's going on, right? Making sure you're, yeah, you're holding on to something, and to not be like the brothers, where you take vengeance or justice into your own hands, but be looking to God's justice, mm-hmm. and to remember that, you know, we were. We are. We were nothing special, right? But God still called us out, mm-hmm. and that there's great promises, right? And God still will hold on to His promise despite us being a wicked, messed up people. So okay. I'll end in a prayer, and then that's it for today. Amen. Dear Lord, thank you for this time together. I uh, I thank you for these passages, although they are. Challenging and take time to wrestle with God and have some just incredibly um, intimidating or scary uh, aspects within them, Lord. I pray that yeah, we heed the warning of these passages and we look to you and remember that um, yeah, there's great danger in sin, Lord, that it is evil and will destroy society and create chaos. And I just pray that we remember the consequences and that we dearly hold on to you and remember that you are a God who p- holds on to his promise and that you are always there with open arms as if we are yeah ready to listen and obey. And I just pray for this time together, pray for yeah, the rest of the service and a good time of fellowship. We love you. Just